For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello, and welcome back to Fertility Life Raft with me, Alice Rose. Once again, just like last time, I'm not going to say very much because I had such a brilliant conversation and there's so much value in it uh, with my guest for today, who is Zoe Clark-Coates. I accosted Zoe pretty much at Fertility Fest in Manchester earlier this year where we were both speaking. And I just I really wanted to meet her because I had been following her for a while on Instagram and, and I just thought her words were so beautiful and her posts resonated with so many people so I I really wanted to do do something together. She is an author who has just released her third book. She hosts a TV show called Soul Tears and is the CEO of the Mariposa Trust which supports thousands of people and she's best known for the saying goodbye division of that trust. She's a grief expert and she's actually a trained counsellor so she really does know how to hold space for anyone who's experienced loss. So I do want to, just in case you haven't read the show notes or you're not sure what this one is about, we do talk about grief and loss, um, but it is a really uplifting conversation. And But I do also want you to know that within this episode, it should still resonate with you if you haven't been through a miscarriage, as I haven't. So hopefully by the end of this chat, whatever your current circumstance, you are going to feel supported and validated and comforted. That's the aim. That's what I want you to feel by the end of this, whatever your current experience and whatever you've been through yourself. And you should also come out of it with feeling like you have something to hang on to. So I'm going to stop talking now. I'm going to introduce you. um, Well, I'm going to let Zoe just tell her story and and share how she became this this voice really of of a, a really big community. And I feel really excited actually about the potential for change that she is driving and that together if we can build more across the the sort of two communities that we have the lost community and the fertility community I think that we have a real good chance of making things feel a lot better and a a lot gentler for the future and I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end as well but in the meantime here's Zoe. 
I mean, I haven't sent you any questions to prepare or anything. I'm right? all good with going with the flow. That's great. That's how I like to do it. That's how I like to do it's it. It's a natural conversation then, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to come yeah. up. And I just yeah. think, yeah, I just want to... I just want to kick off with maybe just hearing your story, Zoe. I mean, I think most people will probably know you, but for anyone who doesn't, yeah. what happened with you guys? Yeah. How did you come to be this voice right. of the community? Well, it goes back many years now, but we were successful in the corporate world. We ran big PR and marketing and event projects around the world for global companies such as Coca-Cola, Bu for all of these companies through our own business. And uh, so we'd waited to have children because we thought we wanted to be financially secure. We were waiting for a good point in our life, figuring as soon as we decided to have children, it would just naturally happen. Like we all do, because we're all led to believe these things happen so easily and naturally, aren't we? Yeah. And then actually when it comes to the crunch, it's not so simple. So that's what happened to us. We decided we were ready to have children after being married for quite a while and um, then sadly lost our first baby. And we went into denial, really, pretending it hadn't even happened. I didn't want to be a statistic. One of the other reasons we'd waited to have children was one of my best friends had gone through two stillbirths and miscarriage. And I journeyed that with her and saw the heartbreak. And I didn't know if I was capable of going through that. Um, prior to being in the corporate world, I'd trained as a counsellor because my mum's a therapist. And I'd never intended to use that professionally. I just did it as a hobby. I loved it. I'd been brought up around the language of psychology and terminology. So it was so easy for me to qualify in that. Um, so that's my backstory really in the fact that we'd gone through that first loss it was traumatic but I was in denial and I thought that would be the end of it I thought the first loss would be my only loss because a lot of people were saying to me it's how your womb gets prepared a lot of people oh. lose their first child oh gosh okay and so that... when you're going through it and you're not really knowledgeable about loss to a great extent you start thinking is that true is that the case so if that is the case then next time everything will be okay and um, the next baby we lost we'd gone much further on in the pregnancy everything was going beautifully it was going great and um, we decided to keep it a big surprise for our family that we were expecting and we were going to tell them at Christmas and We'd kept the first one so private that we knew it would be a massive surprise this time. And then sadly on one weekend I just knew she'd died. I just, I'd started to bleed, we'd gone for a scan, they'd said everything was fine. But then I just knew, I just had this real knowledge that, that, that she'd passed. We had to wait until, that was on the Saturday, we had to wait till the Monday to find a private scan because the NHS said they couldn't offer us one for another week to even say if she was alive or not, because they were so busy. And um, so we found a private consultancy, and um, they scanned me and said the horrible words that I'm really sorry, but her heart stopped beating. And we were just plummeted into this world of, oh, such darkness and loss and terror, because we were going through something that felt so traumatic we were having to face the fact that it wasn't the first time because you can't be in denial now with a later on pregnancy and and then we were having to phone friends family tell them that 
yeah, we were expecting. We've been keeping this big surprise for so long, and that's why we've been avoiding even seeing them. <laughs> and um, but here we were, and we were going to have to deliver her naturally oh, and gosh. go through the full gamut of facing every feeling we'd been running from. Mm. And that's where being a counsellor really helped, having a mum who's a therapist really helped because I knew I needed to talk. I knew it hadn't been healthy how we dealt with the first loss. But because it had been earlier on, it was easier to do. There was no way we could do that this time. We had to face it. And so I just kept talking and the conversation opened constantly. Our friends and family were unbelievably amazing. We were really blessed with having people who encouraged us to talk. No one tried to shut us down. and They always encouraged us to show up, however broken we were. We mm. were saying, Let, we're just gonna hide away, and it was Christmas, and we were like, we don't wanna upset you all, we'll just stay away from you. And they were like, no, come, come cry around our tables. That's amazing. It was, we were so blessed, and I've never taken that for granted. Mm. And we somehow survived that loss went on to conceive again and tragically lost our third baby. Oh, and after that, I said, there's just no way I can do this again. I just can't imagine going through it again. We then lost our dog. Oh, gosh. Who was, you know, our family member. Mm. We'd had him for years and years. And, and suddenly our house went completely empty. It was just me and Andy. Thankfully, we soulmates and best friends. So we clung to each other. But it, the house did feel horribly empty, not having a dog running around the house and knowing we'd lost three children. Mm. And I'd basically then come to the conclusion that we just couldn't go through it again. And unbeknown to us, we were already pregnant again. Gosh, okay. So because our dog had died and we were so bereft and I just thought, well, I'm late, it's stress that's the reason mm. and eventually I decided to just do a pregnancy test just on the off chance found out I was pregnant oh and just God. couldn't believe it but I was so glad it, the decision had been taken from our hands because we'd made this decision we couldn't do it again but now I was already pregnant and, and of course we were utterly delighted but also utterly terrified mm. Mm. and went to see our specialist who said just avoid all stress and I was like okay <laughs> that's not possible <laughs> let me explain what we've just gone through <sighs> and um but she was the first baby we got to bring home Aww. so everything went okay I mean it was still a scary pregnancy I was ill throughout it mm. and it was really like a roller coaster of emotions and you're terrified I remember even putting the car seat into the car ready to go to the hospital and saying to Andy what if we bring that seat home empty oh, gosh. and he said then we'll cope we'll survive and I went yes we will and we just got in the car it was so terrifying that journey to the hospital mm. and not knowing whether you're going to bring a baby home but we did and we'd always only planned on having one child because lots of our friends had only got one child and so in our heads, as soon as she was delivered, that's it. Our journey was done. And so that felt like we'd gone over the finish line almost because, okay, we've achieved what we wanted to do. We've got a baby in our lives and she will never replace the babies we've lost or children we've lost. But 
at least we've got a child to raise. And we were obviously grieving the fact, as well as the babies, the fact that we might never have a baby to raise. Mm. And I think that's something only people who go through loss without having a child in their home already can almost understand that it's a double grief because you are grieving the fact that you might never have a child at all, just like when you're going through fertility treatment. Mm. Are we just never going to be blessed in that way? Mm. And so... I think that's the biggest fear that isn't most people it? have. Yeah, isn't it? It's the fact it. of how are you going to live life not being parents with children? Because you're always a parent if you've conceived, mm. because you're mm. a parent the moment you see those lines on a pregnancy test. But if you haven't got a child in your home, the world doesn't recognise you as a parent. Absolutely. And do you know what I think as well? When I, I, I felt that when we were going through all of our treatment... It occurred to me that I was I was already sacrificing so much for these children mm. that hadn't even been a line yeah. on a pregnancy test. Yeah. You no, know, I was I was like, I felt Absolutely. like I was a mother before I'd even Absolutely. conceived. I mean, it's just it is it is such a deep feeling, isn't, isn't it? it? And I think it's as soon as you decide to have children, your heart expands, so you've got room for them. Mm. And so, if no child ever arrives in your home. Um, or even if you're never getting a pregnancy, positive pregnancy test at all, mm. you still feel like a parent because you've created this space for children to arrive. Absolutely, absolutely. And so we'd got Esme in our arms and never intending to have more. But then, well, even when I was being wheeled out of the theatre, I was saying, it's a shame she's not a twin. <laughs> and so thinking then it would be lovely if there was two of them mm. but oh wow so then you know, were straight so there away there definitely kind of... a seat there um, thinking maybe we should have more but I didn't kind of really acknowledge that and it wasn't until she was about one that we started really talking about should we have more children um, it'd be really lovely for her to have a sibling wouldn't it and when she was and then coming up to two, it became a real... She'd started to say... She was really started noticing other children to the point of asking for siblings. And and we decided we desperately wanted another child. And we weren't happy with just stopping at one. And, and for some reason, because we'd brought her home, we very much felt like our dealings with loss had ended. Mm. It felt like a season that we'd moved through and if we did go on to have more children, all would be okay. Now, that didn't negate the fear or the terror of what if you do have a loss, but what drove us forward was the fact that we wouldn't encounter loss again. we really very much glass half full type people, which definitely helps you when you're navigating loss. So we definitely didn't ever lose the hope that we could end up with a child, even if we made a decision we couldn't go through it again in case we encountered loss and we didn't feel able to deal with that. Mm. So um, we decided to try again and quickly conceived, which we felt so blessed. And just like with our little girl, Darcy, our second pregnancy, everything was going great. We were going for repeated scans. And on one scan, we were all in the scanning room and Esme, I can picture it so clearly right now, was sitting on the chair next to me and Chris, our consultant and friend, was scanning me and I could just see his face drop and I could see our little mm. boy on the screen and um, and then he just looked at me with just real sadness in his eyes and he said his heart stopped. 
and the it just felt like the trap door opened and we fell yet again but there was Esme sitting there mm. staring at us wanting us to say look there's your brother mm. and and we couldn't and I just asked to be excused and I remember just going into the the restroom at the clinic and just screaming and just going I can't do it again I just can't do it again Oh, that's such a powerful image there of yeah. just the, you know, the three of you all yeah. sitting there as well. So traumatic. And um, I decided I couldn't deliver naturally this time. We delivered the first three naturally. Mm. Um, but I just couldn't because of Esme taking quite a while to go into natural um, labour with Darcy. And um, so I decided to have surgery. And um, mm. it'd be over relatively quickly, the medical side of things. So after losing Samuel, we named him Samuel, um, we decided to try again and were blessed to find out we were pregnant again. And we were back to a Christmas time and we decided to tell the whole family at our Christmas Eve party that we were expecting and everyone was completely thrilled. And I then went straight up to the restroom and started to bleed. I literally told them, went to the Oh, my God. And started to bleed. I was like, I cannot believe it. And over the Christmas period, we obviously were speaking with doctors, etc. And they confirmed I'd definitely gone through another loss. Oh, my goodness. And so I was just determined to give Esme a beautiful Christmas. So I said... We can grieve at any point, but I've just got to give her a nice Christmas. That's my only focus. <laughs> and so we just put all our attention into giving her a really peaceful but happy Christmas. We grieved very much in private and um, carried on bleeding the whole time. <laughs> and then in the January, uh, all the pregnancy symptoms were still there. And I... I was, this is really weird. Something is seriously up here. I don't understand it. And eventually I said to Andy, I think we ought to just get a private scan just to find out if there's something wrong with me because I'm still sick, I'm still ill, something is not right. And at that scan, they confirmed I hadn't gone through loss at all. The doctors had been wrong. Oh my goodness. I know. <gasps> so that must have been the biggest, biggest surprise of your life. Yes such a shock and then the second shock was that we were actually expecting twins oh my goodness yeah so there wasn't just one there was two there oh my goodness so they didn't know why the bleeding happened but it wasn't a miscarriage you do hear that such a lot actually i know what what i was really grateful for is the fact that we're actually teetotal Mm. but if i hadn't been because it was over christmas and Mm. new year because Mm. they told me i definitely lost you would have got on it i could have been (laughs) drinking and 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 everything but because of being teetotal that wasn't the case but that's the real risk i think where people are diagnosed of miscarriage without having a confirmed scan yeah 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 and um yeah so it was back to celebration mode but i was very ill i'd got um hypermesis so i was i was obviously expecting twins so the sickness is way worse as well Mm -hmm. and then i got sick um Mm. and myself and developed um an inflamed gallbladder that turned infected and gallstones and ended up having life-saving surgery while I was pregnant to try and save me and the babies. Sadly, I lost one of the twins 
during the pregnancy, mm. um, Isabella. Um, but we got to bring Bronte home. Mm. Oh my goodness, Zoe. So you have been through it all, really. We have. And through it all, we realised the value of communication, of talking, of mm -hmm. giving grief a language, mm -hmm. which I think in society we're really bad at. Terrible. We're great at celebrating Terrible. things, but when it comes to death, loss, or tragedy, we're running the opposite direction. And as a writer and somebody who is a trained counsellor as well, I understand the value of communication and talking, but also the value of the written word mm. and the power of that to make you not feel alone. Mm. Do you think it's a British thing as well? A really British thing. Yeah. There's other cultures that totally embrace grief and loss and death as part of the natural life cycle. Um, even in Ireland, they're brilliant often at dealing with death and loss and they're not scared of dead bodies, for instance, often. They'll have their dead home into their homes for people to come and visit, etc. Um, we definitely wouldn't do that here. Mm. That would be very much what what are you doing yeah that's kind of weird yeah and so different cultures definitely handle it differently and it's that stiff upper lip of putting bravado on and being told you're doing exceptionally well mm -hmm. if you can put a smile on your face when going through trauma and you're patted on the back and saying aren't you strong when actually it's the complete opposite if you're not facing the pain then it's easy to put a smile on it often because you're going in denial like I did with my first loss actually what should be commended is those who can show up crying yeah yeah and saying this really hurts and I'm not in a good place mm -hmm. that's a sign of real strength I think mm. So at what point did you sort of go, right, hang on a minute, I've got all of the, this understanding, mm -hmm. I've got all of this experience, I think I can help other people now? Yeah, well, Bronte was about six months old, and we were running our international company, and I said to Andy, we've got to now do something with everything we've been through. We're at a place where we feel we've fully grieved and we know we've got the skills to help people. What did we need? Mm. And we determined that we needed a service of remembrance, that we'd never had funerals for our babies. And it was something that was kind of essential to us. And we were robbed of that by society almost making us feel that would be odd to do. Yeah. And um, the hospital were very much like, well, we'll handle things. You don't need to do it. And it it felt like the choice was almost made for us. And it, and as a counsellor, I know the significance of a funeral service is almost this passage of grief where you get the chance to formally acknowledge it. And there's something important about that coming together and saying that person mattered, whoever it may be. And we didn't have that. And we said we could do that for other people. And so we set up a not-for-profit division of our company that was going to be doing that. Mm -hmm. And we determined it should be held in venues that were beautiful, significant, and that everybody felt welcome to, but also showed people that baby loss wasn't something that was rare. It was actually something sadly common. With over 250,000 every year just in the UK, 700 babies die from miscarriage and stillbirth collectively every day in the UK. 
that's a huge number of so babies. Many, so many. And that's so many parents, so many grandparents, aunts, uncles, friends who are also touched by it. So we reached out to cathedrals and because of what we did corporately, holding global events and marketing and PR projects, we had all of this amazing insurance and experience in place. They were like, okay, because you're a big professional company doing it, we'll allow you to have the cathedrals and hold these services. So before we knew it, what we planned to do was one or two services became, in the first run was seven services, which included York, Minster, St Paul's Cathedral in London and many others. Um, The BBC were amazing with us and said, look, we'll really support you. Women's Hour said, can we come and record the first ever service? And The Guardian did an article on us crossing over from the corporate sector into Mm. the charity Mm. sector. And that made us explode overnight. So before we knew it, um, we were getting over 650,000 hits a month on our website. Gosh, that's massive, Um, isn't it? Massive. And we realised that we were offering something that so many people needed. And so what quickly started as just services ended up being a complete support organisation which then became also a campaigning arm because we realised the fact that we couldn't just support people and hear all of their stories, but not try and change some of the circumstances that they were encountering loss through, whether it be negligence or whether it just be really bad support Mm -hmm. that they were getting or not having their loss acknowledged, which was actually causing subsequent trauma because people were saying to us, I can almost process and deal with the fact that I've lost my baby. What I can't handle is how I was treated and the injustice and feeling like I was making a fuss over nothing and all of that. That put a layer of shame on their grief, which meant their shame became, um, their grief became locked by the shame. And then they became trapped in their grief. And so they weren't able to process it healthily. And so we realised we could do something about that by campaigning. So that's how the campaigning arm started. And then on from that, we launched our adoption division, our fertility side, which is called Holding Hope, because so many people were encountering um, not only issues necessarily getting pregnant in the first place, but a lot of the people we were supporting were suffering with secondary infertility and um, so that's how all of these other arms of the organisation, the Mariposa Trust, became about, really. But we're still widely known by our primary division, which will always be saying goodbye, which is why often we refer to just that name as an organisation, because it's our biggest division mm. and what we started for and will always be at the core of everything we do. Mm. Oh, it's just it's just really uplifting, actually, to have that conversation about how how it came from such a dark difficult Mm -hmm. place of pain and then to change you know to channel all of what you've been through and all of your experience into something you know helping and supporting so many thousands and thousands of people is just extraordinary and I think you're I mean I love the fact as well that with the saying goodbye services you do also say you know anyone who has is grieving the fact that they haven't had a pregnancy is also welcome and I think that's you know a lot of people listening to this will will not know actually that that's that's part of of the service absolutely and that's part of the holding hope side of what we do in the fact that we were having so many people coming and saying can I come to these services I haven't lost a child so I don't want to come if it'd be almost fraudulent to come when I haven't gone through a loss and And, and can I come and we were like 
absolutely. So we realised we needed to make that really explicit. So we added it to all of the advertising around all the services mm. that if you're grieving the fact that you've lost a child or you're grieving the fact that you've never been able to have them, whether that because of circumstance, whether you've just not met the partner in time and age has been against you almost in mm. having children or whether it be because of fertility issues if you're grieving the fact that you haven't had a child these services are for you it's a place to bring your pain yeah. and grieve with those who get it I think that's so validating for people who maybe have been through you know failed rounds of IVF mm-hmm. and have lost an embryo yeah. you know because there isn't really a word for that that we don't call that a miscarriage no. because you you never tested positive but you've lost an embryo. And I think people really struggle with knowing what to do with, with that grief. And yeah. it is grief, isn't it? It's so, it's just as valid. You, the wider world talks about fertility treatment and very, very often we just talk about IVF. Yeah. And there's so many other treatments that actually maybe even come before it or actually IVF might not be the correct treatment yeah. for that particular situation. So it may not even be that you got to make an embryo. You know, you, 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 Every single person who who wants to bring a baby home and hasn't been able to can come to these services absolutely and I was just I looked at your um Instagram stories just yeah. today and it, it was really moving just watching that beautiful singer uh-huh. and then I think you just sort of panned up to the sky and there was this like gorgeous um ceiling and yeah. I just felt I just found myself welling up because I was like just that just the music and to just sit there in that gorgeous place and just have a moment is just so important isn't it so important and what i love about the services is they bring together every generation as well so we have as many people who have lost babies or are grieving the fact that they've never been able to have a child who are coming who are in their 70s and 80s as well as people who are coming teen mums and people in their 20s and 30s and they all sit alongside each other and all just know that we've been through a similar journey Mm. we've we know that pain, I recognise that pain in your eye, and they don't even need to exchange words, often people will just get up and hug one another, Mm. and Mm. it's so beautiful and so moving, because there's something really powerful in uniting with others, when the experience you've encountered is utterly isolating, and whether it be loss or fertility issues, you feel like you're the only person in the world. You mm. feel like everybody around you has got a baby or is expecting. And, and it's heartbreaking. And you feel like you're going mad half the time because of the feelings you're trying to process and you can't verbalise it and you don't know who is safe to communicate with because you don't want your story trivialised oh, or minimised. Yes. And so that makes you lock your story away even more just for fear of someone saying something that's going to cause more pain. 100%. And that's, again, you know, we. I started my, my Think What Not To Say campaign yeah. for that very reason. Just, you know, people need to feel that word safe is yeah. so important and trust and understanding that you're not going to suddenly be blindsided by a comment that mm-hmm. just completely invalidates your feelings yeah and it's it's uh, you know I think what you're doing by trying to you know know, making this conversation bigger with all of the work that you do is 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 change is changing Mm -hmm. how people are are coping with it and what I think that's amazing that you get people who are in their 70s and 80s coming along to these services that's that's so it's always the time that will make me cry I guess the most is when we have so many people who come as their dying wish and they come to services and say um, I know I'm going to be dying in the next few weeks because maybe they've got a terminal 
um, disease or, or something or age they know the fact that their end is near and they say the final thing I've got to do is say goodbye to my baby and that's what I'm here to do and I and that's always the time because you know they've waited their whole life to do it yes and there's something so moving about that so beautiful the fact that the thing that they want to do is say goodbye to their child mm. before they go mm. but also totally heart-wrenching that they've had to wait so long to do it Absolutely. And, you know, the um, podcast episode that I put out recently, I sat down with a lovely friend of mine that I've met through Instagram called Jen, who's going through lots of treatment at the moment with her mum. And and I wanted to hear from, from, you know, I I was really a fly on the wall and I just kind of recorded their conversation, really. But it was really, really interesting how how much it's changing generation to generation Mm -hmm. and how people are being able to speak about this so much more openly. And, you know... When when my mum was um, having us and her friends maybe were having issues, fertility or miscarriage, it wasn't spoken about, was no, it? Not it's at so all. Wasn't. And that's part of the work we're definitely doing within the NHS and beyond as well, is the fact of changing the culture of the conversation around this because generations gone by did encounter a lot more loss and and that was because of poverty and circumstances and diseases. So often people have very large families because they knew that half of their children might not live past six years of age. Mm. And so I think when you got earlier loss in those circumstances, they very much ranked it as, well, that isn't as bad as losing a four-year-old. And I, I don't know if that's where this whole almost competitive nature with loss came in, mm-hmm. but it's something we're definitely trying to change as an organisation now to remove that, well, one loss is worse than another, and just say all grief matters, every baby matters, whatever the stage. Mm-hmm your story is what's important and so you don't have to rank it against somebody else's because the amount of people who approach us as an organisation say well, my friend um, lost their one week old how can I grieve for my 13 week baby that I've lost in pregnancy I don't feel I should because I don't feel it's as important because they held their child and I didn't and it, for us it's all about validating their pain as their story they're not living their friend's story they're living their story and they have as much right to grieve as their friend does Mm. but that is kind of hard to change in the bygone generations and I think a lot of trauma has been caused by past generations who go well well in my day yeah yeah and so we have to support a lot of people whose family members haven't supported them maybe in the best way because of that. Mm. Saying, well, in my day, we just got on with it and we just got out of bed and we did just try again. And we all knew we wouldn't bring all our children home. Mm. But we don't live in that society anymore. We do live in a society where we do expect our children to live now. We don't expect them to die. And that has changed society and needs to change the language and terminology and the care that gets provided to people in line with that that we don't expect our children to die of childhood diseases anymore because we inoculate them and so a big chunk of our work now is definitely about working with healthcare providers Mm -hmm. and trying to change how care is provided and how support is offered yeah it's just i just find this really um 
yeah really positive because I just I just I'm, I'm very much of the mind that things are changing and they're going yeah, to change you know, they with, definitely with the, are. you know with the work that you're doing and and just that that vision of going actually we can make this better we yeah. can make this so much better and it 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 will never, as you say, it will never take away the grief, but it it will it won't it we won't be adding that layer of shame. Absolutely, and that la- extra layer of trauma, yeah. which is very hard to live with going forward, where you're having to deal with so many deep layers, and because it's a knock-on effect, we always say baby loss and child loss is the first domino that goes over. Mm-hmm. And there'll be a stream of other dominoes that you don't even see that are falling in people's lives. For instance, most people aren't aware that around 70% of relationships break down if you lose a child. Gosh, really? So it's one of the number one reasons for marriage and relationship breakdown. But Mm. we don't talk about that. And Mm. that's one of the other dominoes that go over, as well as other health issues. Because if people don't grieve um, healthily, it can have a knock-on effect. There's a a saying that if you don't grieve, your internal organs weep instead. And it's so true. And that's where you get this knock-on effect of other health issues for many people and that's another domino that goes over so we tend to look as a society at that first domino but we don't look at the rippling effect for instance we had a prison services contacting us asking us whether we'd take the services into the prisons because when the chaplains were talking with prisoners they were finding time and time again and this is in male prisons not in female prisons the fact that the people within the prison service were saying, well, the reason I got back into crime was because my marriage break broke down and that all started because we lost our baby through a miscarriage. And they were saying, we wonder if it would help um, crime statistics and stop people reoffending if we could actually help them process the grief at least while they're in prison. This makes so much sense mm-hmm. to me. You know, so often we're putting plasters over things and yeah. actually we just need to get back to the root of what, yeah. what happened What happened there. Yeah, like, why? 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 Yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, why? And for many people, they don't even realise, they don't put those pieces of the puzzle together, of stripping everything back and saying, where did things start to break down, for mm. instance, in relationships? And then when you do sit down with people, they'll go, actually, that's when we stopped talking. Mm. That's when resentment started to build because we were grieving at very different rates and we weren't talking about what each of us were going through, which was is often kind of separate because people grieve at different rates and often the woman, because of encountering the medical side of the loss, will perhaps have longer to off work than the male and that can even cause resentment, the fact that the partner is going back to work and everything looks like, well, life's returned mm. pretty normally to you, but here I am at home, whether that be a female or a male partner, if one person is going back to normal life and you're still grieving and feel heartbroken, it's very hard not to feel resentful towards Mm. that. And Mm. that can become a sticking point. Mm. And of course, often people have a baby as a way of saving a relationship, don't they? And saying, well, maybe having a baby will make everything okay. Mm. So if you then encounter loss, it's it's often the final nail in the coffin so to speak at the end of the relationship Mm. you have done so much and we haven't even spoken about your books Mm -hmm. so let's definitely speak about those because it's a big week for you it it? is it is so you've already you've got two books out already Mm -hmm. um and again i just love that because this is the fertility life raft podcast so Mm -hmm. i always try and give people whoever's listening you know something that they can actually go and practically you know have and do um, so 
do you want to just talk yeah. about the books that you've got out? Yeah, so my first book is called Saying Goodbye, obviously named because of the organisation. And that's the first half of that book is very much our story and our journey through loss and then how we then went to set up the charity and organisation. And then the second half offers 90 days of support to help people navigate the grief and loss associated with baby loss mm -hmm. and child loss. And it gives people something every day. So it gives them a quote, it gives them something practical to do, and it gives them a bit of dialogue around how they may be feeling. And it's as apt for people who have lost recently as historically. Everything I write, I do um, with that view, because you never know when someone's going to be picking up the book. So if you've lost a baby 20 years ago, you can go through the 90 days of support, or if you've gone through loss today, it's just as valid and useful for you. That was a bestseller, and um, which I was so grateful for because it it was a labour of love from me, and so just to know the fact it was so well received mm. was really heartwarming, and and it was quite an easy book to write. Actually, it just sort of poured out of me because it was the book I'd been needing to write for a very long time, and I'd been asked to write it for years, and then finally people kept putting my story into their books, and so I knew I needed to write it. And, and I was so glad I did. And, and on from that, I changed publishers and got another contract to write another two books, which was amazing. So that birthed The Baby Loss Guide, which was my second book. And again, that's written in two halves. The first half is full of advice and practical information, how to navigate social media after baby loss, um, how to regain intimacy after loss, what do you do if one of you doesn't want to try again but the other one does? What if you can't try again because medically you're not able to? And it tackles all of those subjects that I'm asked on a day-in, day-out basis and I was able to put all of that into the book. Mm -hmm. And then it has 60 days of support. So a lot of people buy Saying Goodbye and the Baby Loss Guide together to give them 150 days of support which is brilliant and both of those are used as resources by the NHS now often people are given them at the hospital yeah which is so brilliant because for many people just like I was you walk out without anything you walk out with empty arms often without even a leaflet which we try to tackle as an organization and hopefully people are given our leaflets now but often um they're not handed anything. And so when they're given a book, they're actually handed a resource. And what's been so beautiful is a lot of people have set up fundraising initiatives in honour of their babies. And they're now supplying books to hospitals around the world and saying, in honour of my baby, I'm going to give Saying Goodbye and the Baby Loss Guide into hospitals. So they supply them to the bereavement midwives in all the hospitals. And that means... All these bereaved parents are getting this gift and they have a place in the front of the book where you can write as a bereaved parent, this is a gift in honour of my child and I'm giving it to you as a bereaved parent and I hope it supports you. Oh, that's so parents are doing this in honour of their babies. So they feel they're doing something amazing because they are. They're giving the gift of support into the hands of a bereaved parent. So it's a beautiful gift in honour of their child. So I love that. Mm -hmm. um, my third book, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. comes out this week. So it comes out on Thursday, on the 28th of November. And this is the first book that offers support to all bereaved people. So it's the first book that's 
it includes baby loss and child loss, but it's a book for anybody who is grieving. So whether you're grieving a partner, a parent, a sibling, a grandparent or a friend, it covers all loss. And it has stories from people who have lost all different people and different relationships. And then it tackles all the subjects again of how do you regain intimacy after loss and what happens if you've lost your partner and you're missing that intimacy. And all of these subjects that people have almost been afraid to talk about for so long. And then it has 60 days of support again to help you navigate that grief and loss. Um, my head is already into book four and mm. book five, which I'm already commissioned to write. So my next book comes out next year and that's called Pregnancy After Loss. Mm. And it's a book for people to help navigate subsequent pregnancy when you're terrified. And I thought it was very much going to be a, almost a pregnancy book. But once I started writing, I realised it was almost like a battle plan, mm. um, a, a way to navigate fear and to help get you through that nine months when you're utterly terrified of not having a baby in your arms. So oh gosh. that's where my head is at the moment. Oh, it's just all of this, it's so much resource mm. available. And I think the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's guiding you literally through a, a, a sort of template, you know, yeah. of how, how to navigate that time is completely invaluable. And I'm such a fan of a kind of... I love someone giving me a bit of a recipe for what to do. Yeah. I just love it. And, and, you, and there's no fast, no. there's no easy way. And that's what I wanted. What, what I'd love to write is something that gives somebody just a fast pass to navigate it. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. That's what I wanted. And there's no way of getting that. No. So what I always say is I can't do that. But what I can do is give you a life ring. Yes. Something that you can hold on to. A life raft, yeah. in fact. And something <laughs> that makes you feel like somebody's journeying with you. I hope people see my books as a friend mm. to help them navigate um, this crazy world of loss that none of us wanted to end up in. Mm. But I also wanted my books to always be the perfect gift because people were always asking me, what can I give to somebody who's bereaved, who's lost a child or lost a sibling or lost a parent? What's a suitable gift I don't want to send them flowers most people don't want a house of flowers mm. when they are so bereaved and feeling lost and so every book I write I write with that view in mind that will this be the perfect gift mm. will this be something you could safely put under the Christmas tree or safely give to somebody or send to someone you love where you can just get Amazon for instance where you can just hit send to a friend that you feel like you're actually giving them a hand to yeah. hold on to. So every book I write is with that view in mind, that it's a suitable gift to give to somebody where they're going to welcome it into their home. And it's a way of you helping somebody you love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this one is out this week, and I'm going to yeah. make sure this is out before Christmas, this podcast, Amazing. because it's, it's really... Um, such a difficult time of year um, for a lot of people and I think exactly that to be able to safely again that word gift something that Mm -hmm. is going to actually help get through that really hard time when you 
you know, whenever that loss happened, it's going to give you something to hang on to. Absolutely, and it's just so hard, isn't it, when you love somebody and you're seeing them completely broken and you can't rescue them from mm. it, all you can do is walk it with them. Mm. And when it comes to something like Christmas, what do you then do even regarding Christmas present? If somebody's just lost their partner, you don't want to give them a bottle of perfume when they really don't care about anything in life right now. So what do you give them? And the only thing you can give them is love and show them that there is hope. And that's what I hope the books do, that they give people hope and that they're a lighthouse to people to show that there is life after loss. Mm. And hear other people's stories so you're not alone. Mm. And your words resonate with so many people, mm -hmm. Zoe. I mean, they're just, you know all of those beautiful Instagram quotes and they've been they were up on the all on the board weren't they for baby last week in, it's been London so amazing every time because I never know when they're going to pop up on the underground yeah. and it's such a gift to me where I suddenly start seeing people posting on mornings and they say I've just seen this on the underground yeah, and, and I love that because it's trying to put that language into general community I always say I'm not about educating the bereaved I'm edu about educating everybody how to help the bereaved because like we were discussing earlier regarding baby loss awareness week I people always think it's a week for those who have gone through baby loss and I'm the biggest advocate of saying mm. no it's not this mm. isn't a week for the people who have gone through loss this is about showing the world what those who have gone through baby loss encounter what they feel what hurts them what could um, offer them better care and support and so why I love my quotes going up on the underground and in commercial areas is because it's putting this subject out into the community and I already reach a lot of the lost community through my words because they're needing support and so they find it by that way mm. but actually I want to educate their friends and family who maybe aren't supporting their loved one very well because they don't get it and if I can have my words reach them and it makes them think, oh my goodness, perhaps I should be sending a text message to my sister who I know encountered loss, who I've been avoiding that subject yeah. with, then I really feel like I've done a good thing. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly how I feel about Fertility Week. Yeah. You know, absolutely. And that was, that's what drove all the BBC work that we did and just trying to get it outside of the bubble of... Yeah. of and loss and just trying to educate the wider world and make a make a really positive change yeah and I feel really hopeful that that is happening I I really think it is and I think the fact that the government are taking this so seriously as well obviously I was conned to the health minister so I am co-chairing the national review into loss and part of my work with that is trying to look at all of these areas where support isn't available within the NHS and beyond and where we can better that support and advising government on how we can make real key changes in how to better support people. And so it's such a privilege to do that work. But by doing that, I've seen that there's such a commitment from government and the NHS so yes I hear so many awful stories and how loss has been awful but through the work that I'm doing with government I'm also seeing the heart to change that and that isn't 
a set party, that's cross party, mm. that's every party out there, are really committed to change mm. and committed to making things better and to saying we can do better and by doing better we will change everyone's experience because we can erase some loss but we can't erase all loss. Mm. And until loss is eradicated, which I don't believe ever will actually happen, we've just got to better support those who are encountering it and wrap them with love, wrap them with support and say, while you're walking through this, we will hold your hand. Mm. And I've seen a real commitment across the NHS to making changes and in the government saying, let's honour every life, which is part of our work. I don't know whether you know, but part of our work is trying to bring in a new national loss certificate. Yes, I did know about that. Yeah, where everybody can apply for that and have their loss recognised. And that's part of the government work as well, separately from our campaigning, in saying how do we bring that about, how do we bring that into effect, and also look at backdating that for people who have had a historic loss, Mm. where up until now, up until it comes into effect, our babies aren't acknowledged if they're born before 24 weeks, and we really believe that's wrong. We believe they deserve to be acknowledged and recognised however early that loss was, because a loss is a loss. And that's also part of this de-ranking in grief, in the fact of saying, well, that loss is worthy of recognition, but that loss isn't. Mm. And I think once this certificate comes into being, that will help eradicate that because we'll be saying no all babies matter if you want your baby to be acknowledged then it should be Mm. obviously it shouldn't be forced on people because for some people they don't feel a need for that and actually it might in their view make their grief worse and they don't want that so but it should be a choice for those who do want it it should be available yes absolutely i think that's so so hopeful for the future and I, i think what you do is incredible so Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on. It's been such a pleasure to talk with you. It's been amazing, Zoe. Thank you. Zoe and I continued to talk probably for another hour and a bit after I actually stopped um, recording. And I think we just found so many... We just found so much to talk about because we both are supporting people going through a difficult path to bringing home a baby whatever that looks like and I do get quite a lot of messages from people who actually find this podcast and say oh I didn't know if it was going to be relevant to me because I don't actually have fertility issues but you know I've been going through loss and then of course they do find it entirely relevant and that's because so many of the feelings and the desires to just to just have a baby and the lack of understanding from the outside world um, are, are really pretty similar and you know I I don't want to say it's all the same because it's not then you know hopefully that's clear you know we are all on our very individual journeys and everyone's experience is entirely unique and I know my dad's going to tell me off because you know that unique you you can't be entirely unique if you're unique then you're you're unique (laughs) Um, but that's that's a by the by Um, I can just hear his little voice in my head unique means you know anyway I digress what we're going through is unique and therefore we can't be all lumped in together. But having said that, there are so many parallels um, and we should all be able to feel that sense of connection. And I hope that this conversation has helped you to to feel that, to feel that 
that energy that we, we're all just here um, really waiting to support you. So as always, huge thank you for all of your lessons, all of your downloads, all of your shares of, of the fact that you've heard this podcast and it's resonated with you. It, this is what helps to reach so many more people. So please do continue sharing. Let me know what you think of this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts. And I would also be so grateful if you could go and leave me a review or a rating. It takes two seconds um, on Apple. That's actually the only place you can leave a review. So some people get in touch and say to me, I don't know how to leave a review. It's got to be through Apple. If you don't listen through Apple, you can still do it through um, a laptop. So just you can do it that way. Um, so yes, please do go and do that. If you have got a couple of minutes to spare, it makes all the difference to me. And I'm so, so grateful. So thank you. I also want to make sure that you know where to find me on social media. So I'm most active on Instagram, which is this is alice rose to come and find me there and my website this is alice also has more resources on it and you can also find my courses and my free meditation there as well and i just want to say as well just really look out for more information coming with the other resources and support that i'm going to offer because i've got lots of plans as well as loads of plans with cat for catanalyst.com we have got lots of events and thoughts planned for next year so just make sure you know what we're doing over there as well and thank you so much for being here and for listening and i will see you soon all the love. Take care. Fertility Life Raft is a Quidem Productions podcast.